please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. I'm your host, Doug King. And I know that this week, everybody everywhere has been talking about the debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and not including Gary Johnson. And it would be wrong of me to spend the entire hour talking about the debate because we had a school shooting in South Carolina and we really should talk about campus carry and we should talk about the governor of South Carolina's response to the school shooting and we should talk about so many other things. But I'm sorry, the the debate is on my mind. It is one of the most important things that has happened so far up to the most important presidential election of a generation. And I have a few thoughts that I don't think are being said anywhere else that need to be said. So I'm going to take my bully pulpit here and I'm going to run with it. And if this alienates some of my, my listeners, then I'm sorry, but it's just got to be said at some point it's got to be said. And somebody's got to say it, and nobody else out there is going to. So I think that's why you tune in here every week. I think that you come to listen to a little bit of a unique perspective, somebody who has maybe a a modicum of sense when it comes to political issues and things that are going on in the wider world. And I know that there are some who are going to say, well, this is supposed to be a gun program. But, you know, this election is going to have a huge impact on firearms rights. It's going to have an impact on every right that we have, and things are are really being slanted. Now, one of the things that I, I want to talk about is the stop and frisk thing, and I think you know my perspective as a criminal defense attorney can lend a little bit more perspective on the stop and frisk thing. Um, there's a whole bunch of people who are screaming, Trump is wrong, Trump is wrong, he supports stop and frisk, he's not a friend of the Constitution, and... They're not wrong. I mean, it, there, there shouldn't be stop and frisk. We should have the right against unreasonable search and seizures and stopping somebody just because of the color of their skin or where they are or because you feel them to be suspicious. Even if you have a re, can articulate a reason why you think they're suspicious, I don't think that that is what the framers intended. Um, there is cries of papers, please. And I think that that is, is very valid. But I'm going to shift from the way things ought to be back to the way things are. And stop and frisk has been ruled constitutional by the Supreme Court. It's been ruled, it's been practiced in the U.S. since the late 1960s. There is a landmark Supreme Court decision called Terry versus Ohio. Terry frisks are allowed. The officer is, is detaining you even briefly, a brief custodial in, um, investigation leads to their ability to frisk you for weapons because of officer safety. And that's just the way it's been, and that's the way it is. And if we want to undo that, then we need to get people who are strict constructionists on the Supreme Court, more people like Scalia, which isn't going to happen with Hillary Clinton in office. And so, I mean, all of this kind of snowballs together to get us to where we are. Now, during the debate, Trump was asked, you know, about stop and frisk and how that was ruled unconstitutional in New York City. Well, 
he actually made one of the best points of the night right then. He said, no, it wasn't ruled unconstitutional, which it was, but it wasn't ruled unconstitutional because of stop and frisk. It was ruled unconstitutional by a district court judge in New York, federal district court. So this is the bottom of the pile, right? And the federal district court said that stop and frisk is not unconstitutional, but it's being unconstitutionally applied. Now, this is this is an important concept for us to grasp, okay? There's two ways a statute can be unconstitutional. It can be unconstitutional as written. You can write a statute that is unconstitutional. Just on the face, if you read the words of it, it's unconstitutional. For example, if we passed a statute that said um, no person may buy a gun, all right, that would be on its face unconstitutional because you have a right to own, keep, and bear arms guaranteed by the Second Amendment. It's a fundamental human right, so there we go, right? It's on its face. It's unconstitutional. There's no way you can do that. So let's say that we instead have a law that says no person can carry a firearm at a public gathering. All right, so now we're into time, place, and manner restrictions. That's always been allowed, even for constitutional rights. It has to pass certain muster um, with the court in order for it to be valid. But we will let you get away with that one. So if we look at history and then say, wait a minute here, every single arrest for carrying at a public gathering has been a black person. Every single one. I'm, I'm looking back over five years of data. There has never been a white person arrested for it. There's never been a Hispanic person arrested for it. There's never been a, um Asian person arrested for it. The only people who ever get arrested under the statute are black. Now, that would be unconstitutional as applied. And the reason is, is because now we're getting into a racial discrimination. The law may be drafted broadly to incorporate all people and to fall within equal protection guarantees but because it's only being applied one way the law can still be unconstitutional and that's what the district court judge in new york said she said looking at this data it seems to fall disproportionately on minorities more minorities are being stopped and frisked and because more minorities are being stopped and frisked it's unconstitutional as applied now the city of new york should have appealed her decision, or his decision. I honestly don't know what the judge was. The city of New York should have appealed the district court's decision to the U.S. Court of Appeals, where a three-judge panel would look at the evidence and decide whether or not it was unconstitutionally applied, instead of just one judge. And if it went poorly, then the case could be appealed again to the U.S. Supreme Court, where if the Supreme Court chose to take the case, they could review whether or not it was unconstitutionally applied. More likely than not, they would not take that case in this today's political climate. It's not necessary to define these boundaries any closer, and they would let the, dist or the appellate court decision stand, one way or the other. And that, without being quite as eloquent as your dear host, is what Donald Trump tried to say Monday. Trump said it wasn't unconstitutional. It was just one judge's opinion that should have been appealed, but our mayor decided not to appeal it. And so now it stands as, as this, and it's not unconstitutional. And if we implemented it, it wouldn't be unconstitutional. And any sane judge out there would know that it's unconstitutional. Looking at Terry versus Ohio, right? So that was Donald Trump's point. He just didn't make it terribly well, but he was right. And people are just lambasting him for it. Now, I am not a Donald Trump fan. 
I think he's going to win. I think he's very interesting. I think that he may be the best thing to happen to American politics in 35 years. 36, 37, 37 years. Let's, let's just make it a nice round number. 37 years ago, something else interesting happened in American presidential politics. But since then, eh, not so much. And I really want to delve into a history lesson here, being not only a political science major, but a history major and your dear host. And I really want to get into why I think Donald Trump is causing the fervor that he is among citizens and the animosity that he is among the political class. This re election really isn't about Donald Trump anymore. It's almost not about Hillary Clinton. I mean, you would think that these two, dare I say, megalomaniacs, two people who are heavily invested in their own brand... I mean, I think that's fair. I, I think saying that Donald Trump, his biggest investment in life has been in the brand of Donald Trump, right down to the hair, right? I mean, he has crafted an image that he has sold not only in the business community, but on television and now in politics as to what Donald Trump is, okay? Well, he's not alone in that. Hillary Clinton has done pretty much the same thing. She created her own brand. At first, she was Devoted Wife, because in the 1980s, Devoted Wife would get you into the White House, whereas Independent Woman, who believes in every weird leftist social doctrine imaginable, will not. Hillary has been no stranger to politics. Remember that she worked for the, the Warren Commission, uh, concerning Watergate, she was actually let go from the Watergate investigation because of ethics concerns. She's been an attorney. She has worked very hard to create her own image. And when she hooked her star to Bill Clinton, the two of them created this powerhouse that was able to catapult a nobody. And I'm sorry, Bill, but, you know, when you were governor of Arkansas, you were pretty much a nobody in the, the international spectrum. Um, most people can't even spell Arkansas. So let's, let's be real here. This, this was miraculous. And I think that in large part, there were two pieces to the puzzle that came together to create this magical synergy in Clinton Incorporated. And half of it, is Hillary's in raw intelligence and Hillary's ability to ferret out the angle. And the other half of it was Bill's personality and his ability to reach out and connect with people on a personal level, which Hillary is really bad at. So you take Bill's personality and Hillary's strategy and you get Clinton in office. What we're seeing right now is Hillary's strategy with Bill being retired, and I, just, I don't know, I want to go home and play with my grandkids, and, and Hillary's doing fine, vote for her, and everyone remembers what a good president I was, right? I mean, that's kind of where we are. Folks, we're at a commercial break. I'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, folks. So when we took the commercial break, I, I was doing my, my worst Bill Clinton impression because I'm, I'm sitting here on a beautiful, beautiful day in, in sunny Atlanta where the temperatures are finally getting to be summer. I mean, the highs are in the 70s and the lows are in the 50s. That's summertime in every sane part of the world compared to, you know, 105 with 99.999% humidity which I can't call summer. I mean, that's, that's much closer to, to perdition itself. So I, I've said often that we have two seasons here in Georgia. We have summer and we have perdition. Summer runs from the middle of, or the early October until about the middle of April, and perdition runs from April until October. So we're coming out of perdition and moving into summertime when you can run around in shorts and t-shirts and be outside and enjoy life and ride bike and forget about all the nastiness in the world. But I, I'm compelled to come back to the nastiness in the world. And, and speaking of the nastiness in the world, we were talking about the Clintons before we took our commercial break. So... Bill and Hillary created this team that was electable. Bill had the personality. Bill could go on Arsenio Hall and play his saxophone. And Hillary knew which people needed to, to disappear and, and how to make them do that. So between the two of them, they were able to create this, this wonderful dynamic that catapulted Bill into the White House and Hillary went with him. And at the beginning, I don't know if many of you remember the, the first years of their co-presidency, but that's the way it was played. Remember, Hillary was in charge of health care reform. Hillary was also very much involved in the assault weapons ban. While Bill was out glad-handing and schmoozing Congress, I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, he was a part-time president. By all means, he was in there working his magic, but his magic was not in policy or in the, the sly maneuverings like you would see on House of Cards. His magic was in connecting with people. He could go to a congressman or a senator and talk to them one-on-one -on -one and get them on his side just by his charisma. His force of personality would do it. Hillary would come in and strong-arm people and make sure that things got done. And together, they were able to implement some really disastrous policies. I think that the assault weapons ban was about the most disastrous thing that we've had in the last, well, between, let's say, 1984 and 2001. The most disastrous thing was was the assault weapons ban. And I'm, I think the assault weapons ban was worse than the Firearms Owners Protection Act that banned machine guns. Uh, I, of the two, I would rather get rid of the assault weapons ban than get rid of the machine gun ban, although I think we should get rid of both. And if the NRA actually had any political power whatsoever, it would be gone, but they don't, so it isn't. They're invested in the system, and, and anyone who's invested in the system as is causes trouble. And I think that's that's where we're going with this discussion today, is being invested in the system. Because there is big problems here, folks. I mean, the Trump is, is highlighting some big systemic problems in American and America and American politics. I mean, this, this is huge, okay? But we'll get there. So... You've got Trump creating the brand of Donald Trump. You've got Hillary Clinton redefining herself now. She is no longer Mrs. Clinton. She doesn't like to be called Mrs. Clinton. And I think Trump was very funny 
during the debate when he said, Secretary Clinton, is that okay? Because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I love you. Remember? Remember him doing that shtick? And trust me, that's a shtick. If there ever was a shtick, that's a shtick. So here we've got Trump kowtowing and and making a big deal and fawning over the name because she doesn't want to be Mrs. Clinton. She's not Bill's wife anymore. She is former senator, former secretary of state, former leader, former powerful, former everything. And she was tired of the first word and all of that. She wants to be president. She wants to be President Clinton. She wants to be more than what she is. And so both are trying to recreate their image. Both are trying to be something bigger than themselves. And so here we have these two megalomaniacs running for office. Now, is that a bad thing? Not necessarily. The the job that they're looking for kind of demands it. I mean, we have become, this is not the country of George Washington. It's not even the country of Abraham Lincoln. It's barely the country of FDR anymore. So, I mean, the, the, the personality that takes to fill that role, the person who believes that you, they, you really want to sit and listen to them talk, the person who thinks that, you know, this job could not be done better by anybody else on the planet. And that is the key underpinning of what makes a presidential candidate. <coughs> they believe in their heart of hearts, deep down in their soul, that they are the best person in all the world, possibly in all of history, to be president and to lead this great nation. They believe it in their, in their, their core. This is what makes them who they are. Donald Trump, I don't think, has that in him. I don't think he looks at this and says, of all the great leaders of time, I am here now to lead the world's last remaining superpower to greatness. I think he looks around and goes, my goodness, all these people are schmucks, or maybe as he said, schlongs. Uh, these people are, are, are idiots, and they're playing a game that they don't even know the game. I know the game better than they do, and I'm not even a politician. I could beat them with my hands tied behind my back. And then suddenly he decided to. Now, the meteoric rise of Donald Trump is something that really needs to be addressed. Because, let's face it, three years ago, if someone had said, oh, the next GOP uh, nominee is going to be Donald Trump, I think you probably would have gotten laughed not only out of whatever building you happen to be in, but probably out of the country. I don't think that very many people sat back in, I don't know, late 2010 as the new Republican Congress rolled in and said, ah, Donald Trump, that's going to be our guy. I mean, you just, you see it. He's being groomed for it. Everybody likes him and, and he's going to be it. It's obvious. You might have said that about Jeb Bush. You might have said it about Marco Rubio, but you weren't going to say it about Donald Trump. So what happened? How did Trump get here? And why was I saying that he was going to get here over a year ago? Well, the, the key word to all of this is populism. Donald Trump is not a Republican. 
There are people all over Facebook who will tell you Donald Trump is not a Republican, and they are right. David Null, big shout out to David Null out there in Mississippi. You're right. Donald Trump is not a Republican. Let me tell you what a Republican is. A Republican is Jim Boehner. A Republican is Paul Ryan. A Republican is Jeb Bush. And Donald Trump is none of these people. He doesn't even look like these people. He doesn't even pretend to look like these people. He could not even play them on TV. Okay? So Donald Trump is not a Republican. What is he? Well, if he's not a Republican, he must be a Democrat, right? Because we live in this bipolar world where there are two parties, and that's it. And if you aren't one, then you are the other. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, and that's it. We understand the world in black and white these days, folks. America has no shades of gray. It is black or white, Republican or Democrat, and there is nothing in between. I'm afraid that Donald Trump is not a Democrat. For all of you who say he's not a Republican, ergo, he must be a Democrat, you are wrong. He has absolutely nothing in common with the Democrats. Something that I've been saying for about 10 years, and anyone who's listened to this show or had the misfortune of meeting me in person has probably heard me say that Democrats are in favor of a larger, more powerful government. Republicans are in favor of a smaller, more powerful government. But there is nobody in favor of less government. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at with Donald Trump. He is not in favor of power in the government. I think that he would most agree with, if you said, okay, you've got to find a political quote that you agree with wholeheartedly. He's he's a very good businessman. And so he's going to find common ground with you on any quote you give him. If you say, I, I think that Hitler was an awesome guy, he'll say, you know, I can see things that I agree with you on. Maybe not that entirely, but I think that there's some things that we can get together and work together on because he makes deals. As a businessman going into a negotiation, you don't tell somebody you're an idiot. It just doesn't bode well for the general conversation. I'm an attorney. I go and deal with people that I think are idiots all the time, both people on the other side of the table and sometimes even my own clients. It just happens. I don't start off the conversation telling them that. It's not profitable. It doesn't help anybody. And my opinion doesn't even really matter at that point. And Trump knows that. So I'm sure that whatever political statement you threw at him, he would find common ground on it. But if you wanted to find out what something that actually was his, something that he believed in, I think that he would snatch onto Reagan saying, government is not the solution to your problems. Government is the problem. Remember when Obama went toe to toe with Reagan on that one? And he said, we've got a generation of people who grew up thinking that government is the problem. Well, that's just a wrong way of thinking. No, sir. Not at all. Government will always be the problem. Now, it may be the best solution out of all the other worst possible solutions, but it is still a problem. And freedom would allow people to, freedom of the market, freedom of the mind, freedom of conscience, freedom of fancy, all of these things would allow people to achieve more and go, I'm at a commercial break. I will be right back.
now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So I was talking about freedom as we took the commercial break. I, I Obama went toe-to-toe with Reagan attacking the idea that government is the problem. Reagan believed government is the problem. And I think that Donald Trump, deep down in his core, at his very soul, believes that government is the problem, too, and that he is going to crack the system. So we need to take a moment and talk about the system of government that Donald Trump is is destabilizing and what power means and why every single president, every single living president has come out to say that we should not vote for Donald Trump. That's a pretty shocking thing, isn't it? Um, One of my friends, God rest his soul, put that up on Facebook as a meme. And he says, look, Every single living president is against Donald Trump. You know why every single living president is against Donald Trump? It's not because they think that he's going to wreck the country. It's not because they think he's going to wreck the economy. It's not because they think that he is a horrible person or a bad human being. And it's not even that they think that he can't do the job. They're afraid that he will do the job. They know that he can They're thinking that he's going to do very well. So let's take a step back and talk about economics for a moment. You know how I love to talk about economics on this show. Well, let's say that I make widgets. I have this huge factory, and I make widgets. I make a million widgets every day. Every day they're pumping out of this place. I employ a 1,000 people. They, They make $15 an hour as minimum wage. They're all happy as little clams. So I go out there, and I stand in front of my big factory pumping out a million widgets a day, and I look around and I say, come buy widgets to a cornfield. Nothing happens. No one comes to buy the widgets. The widgets start to pile up. I have a surplus of production. I end up laying off my $15 an hour happy workers, and the plant closes, and the widgets end up in a landfill right next to E.T., the extraterrestrial, the Atari game. What happened? Why did my wonderful widgets not sell? Well, because my advertising scheme was to stand in a cornfield and shout. In order for me to sell my widgets, I must get the attention of the people who want to buy them, and I have to deliver the widgets to them in a timely manner. So let's say that I figure this out before I end up closing my doors, and I start to advertise. Widgets, come one, come all. Giant factory in Iowa City, Iowa, widgets 10 cents apiece. Well, suddenly people all over the greater Iowan area drive their pickup trucks over and pick up a load of widgets and take off with them, and they're happy as clams. But I'm only selling maybe 50,000, 60,000 widgets a day, but I'm making a million, and pretty soon I end up laying off nine-tenths of my workers and cutting production down and just providing widgets to a small cadre of of devoted farmers in the area. Still not optimal. So what do we do then with with the widgets, the widget crisis of 2016? Well, if instead of me advertising direct and saying, come pick up your widgets, come get them from my, my warehouse and pay factory direct pricing, let's say that I open up a chain of stores. And this chain of stores starts to sell widgets. 
Well, every store needs a manager, and let's say that instead of me running around all over the country managing these stores, that I set up franchises. Well, now the the franchisees are going to buy my widgets and put them on their shelves, and they're going to pay for electricity, and they're going to pay for employees, and employees are often 70 or 80% of the gross expenditures of a small business. And if you're not spending that on your employees, then your customers are suffering. Let's just be honest. So you've got your employees, you've got your lights, you've got your overhead, you've got your building expenses, you've got managerial expenses. The franchisee wants to make a profit. So suddenly my 10-cent widgets cost 80 or 90 cents a piece. But you know what? If you want the best widget on earth, it's still my widget. So you can go down to your local widget store and buy my widget on demand. You know that it's going to be on the shelf there waiting for you. You don't have to order it six weeks ahead of time. You don't have to wait for the shipment from China. And you don't have to hope that it gets here when you need it because it is there waiting for you. But there's carrying costs and holding expenses and all of that. And it drives the price of the widget up. But it's the only way to do business. There's no way for you to to have all of that convenience without a middleman. And the middleman takes a cut of the profits. So what does this have to do with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump? Donald Trump looked around and said, I need some laws passed. The, you know, some of these banking laws are ridiculous. I'm working in this industry every day. The real estate laws are ridiculous. I'm trying to get something done. The laws are standing in my way. I need this changed. And lo and behold, in walks a politician and says, Mr. Trump, I'm running for office. Why don't you give me a healthy campaign donation? And when I get in, it's one of my key goals to change these laws that are bothering you. And Trump thinks, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'll help this guy get in. And when he gets in, he'll fix the laws. So Trump gives him money and the guy gets in and he fixes a little bit. But he doesn't get much done, but he gets a little bit done. And in four years, he's back and looking at Mr. Trump saying, hey, I got a little done for you. We need more help to get the rest of it done, but I can't do it alone. And so Trump pays the middleman. Well, one day, and this is hypothetically speaking, and, and if you haven't learned to speak hypothetical, you need to listen to the show some more. So hypothetically speaking, the politician comes back and says, Mr. Trump, I'm running for office again. We got a little bit more done on those things. You really need to keep me in office. My opponent would set you back 20 years. And Trump says, you know, I would never pay an employee to get as little done as you get done. Every four years, you're back asking me for a donation. You want me to hire you for a job. But you never get it accomplished. There are incremental steps all the time, but it never changes. We never get what we need. I think I'm just going to go do it myself. And the politician goes, no, Mr. Trump, you can't do that. They'll never vote for you. No one would vote for you. I was a political science major. After I was a political science major, I got my law degree, and then I went and worked on the Hill. And while I worked there and, and for 10 years of, of selfless public service, I learned how Congress worked. And from there, I also learned how campaigns worked. And my predecessor retired, and I stepped in and got the nomination of my party. And with 10 years of selfless public service and a degree in political science, I was able to win a small congressional seat from the, the, the outer districts of Mongolia, California. But from that small congressional seat, I proved my years of public service when I was able to move up to senator, and now I'm running for president. Because if you look back on my career, it is a career of selfless public service, then that is the only kind of people the American people will elect. 
You can't run, and if you try, you'll simply fail, and then you'll have nobody on your side, not even me. So don't do that. Pay the middleman, and I'll take care of it. It may be slow. It may be incremental. You may never, ever be able to get rid of me, but I'll be there for you. And Trump thinks about this for a little while and says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I think I can get elected. I don't think that people, people who look at you, Mr. Political Middleman, and say, hey, you, I don't trust you. What have you ever done? Why should you have this job? They don't look at you and think that you're a paragon of virtue. You're not uh, Aristotle's ideal politician. You're not the, the embodiment of the, the body politic of, of wisdom and learning. You're a slimeball, and I don't trust you. How many people trust Hillary Clinton? How many people would say, I trust Hillary Clinton? I think that she is a trustworthy, wonderful human being. No one. No one. She's got like one of the lowest trustworthiness ratings and polls in history. And Trump realized that. And it wasn't just that people don't trust Hillary Clinton. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I am picking on Hillary, but I'm not picking on her in specific. I'm picking on this entire political ruling class. These people who came up with the idea that money needs politicians to get things done and money can't do it themselves. No one will vote for John D. Rockefeller because he is a robber baron. He's an evil person. But I can be the nice, happy, smiling face that goes between John D. and you and gets laws passed so that everybody's happy. And you need me. And Trump says, I don't need you. I don't need you at all. I don't have to have anything to do with you. I can do it myself. Oh my goodness. What if he was right? What if he actually could secure the nomination of the Republican Party? What would that mean for every single person who went and got a political science degree and a law degree and decided to run for office? Well, it would mean that all of those power structures are about to fall. What if you took the blue pill? Folks, we're at a commercial break. I'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. We're in the final segment. i got to wrap things up, and I'm, I'm really lagging behind. I mean, Rush can do an hour-long monologue and pull it off, but it seems like I need two or three hours to be able to get all my thoughts out someday. So let's just bear with me here, and I'm going to try to get this to the, the conclusion that I've been working towards. <clears throat> So when we left, I said, what if you take the blue pill? What if you think that anybody can be president? Remember, you know, that's kind of what we tell our kids. Anybody can be president. Well, we, when we say that, we, we mean that, you know, no matter who you are, what walk of life, you can rise and you can get elected and people can vote for you. But it doesn't work that way. Trust me, I ran for office this year. I had to go door to door. I went door to door for 40 hours a week for 10 weeks. I went door to door to door collecting signatures in order to be put on the ballot. And with over 400 hours of effort, I wasn't able to do it. There weren't enough signatures to be had, no matter where I went. Now, you would say, okay, well, so people didn't like you. That doesn't mean that the system is broken. Ah, 
I'm willing to concede that there are people out there who don't like me, right? I mean, if nothing else, I have an ex-wife. But that's not the issue. I wasn't going door to door and getting people and saying, I support the incumbent or I only vote Republican. Of, of, of those 400 hours, I had six people. Six people tell me that they supported either the current incumbent because they were a personal friend of his or that they were supported the Republican Party only and they didn't care if you were, you know, Jesus reincarnated. If you weren't an R behind your name, they weren't voting for you out of everybody I talked to six. So that means out of the, the thousands of other people that I talked to, they weren't supporting the Republican Party or the incumbent. So why wouldn't they sign for me? They did. Almost every single one of them did sign for me. So why am I not on the ballot? Because apparently 85% of them were either not registered voters, had a discrepancy in their voter registration, or something else. All of those people, every single one of them that I talked to, 85% of them that I talked to, when they go vote this fall, their vote will not be counted. They think that they're registered voters. They think that they have a say in what happens. But the the... Board of Elections will throw out their votes because they aren't properly registered because their P.O. box number is one off or they're they've moved or their name is not listed in the list as it is that they signed. All of these things are going to cause their votes not to count. I mean, that's a travesty. But that's the system working. The system doesn't want people voting. The system doesn't want change. The system wants to keep control and keep power. So what's the most dangerous thing that could happen to this system that's devoted to power? Well, if the the power brokers, if the middlemen get cut out, if you can go to the original mattress factory and buy yourself a politician, then why do you need these political hacks that have devoted their life to political science to be your politician? Are they more intelligent than the other guys? Most often, no. The reason they did political science is because it's not that challenging. Oh, my good Lord. Um, my wife is taking classes at a community college, and she told me about a conversation she had with one of the students, and they were taking psychology. And he says, well, I'm sure glad to get this out of the way because it counts for a science, and I'm done with science. And the professor pipes up, it's a humanities. And he's like, crud. You mean it doesn't count for science? No. Well, at least I'm taking political science. That's a science. When I took political science, my friends and I had a little saying. We would we would banty it about, especially when we were dealing with people who were science majors like geology or chemistry or astrophysics, right? We would say political science is not a science. As long as you remember that, you'll do well. And that's true. It's not a science. It is not hard coursework. Now, some of the concepts are hard, and implementation can be hard. But that requires a lot more in the the terms of strategy and personality, like Team Clinton had. So what happens to the power structure if you could just go and get any, if anybody could be president? Who should we have as president? Well, People who are highly intelligent, right? People who have succeeded. Businessmen, doctors, entrepreneurs, right? Boy, am I listing off everybody who didn't make it through the primary process for the Republican Party, right? 
I mean, this, we got Ben Carson, you got Carly Fiorina, we've got um, all uh, um, um, Rand Paul, Doctor Paul, right? I mean, these people didn't do well in the primaries. Why? Because the primary system is designed to keep them out because they're not political hacks. Carly Fiorina realized this, and she hitched her star to Ted Cruz. Now, Ted Cruz, I mean, what what operations has he performed, right? I mean, what what multi-billion dollar business has he started? Yeah. You know, the, did he run a company that did really well ever? No. Okay, so whether you like Ted Cruz as a person or you think that he is, you know, a good Christian or anything else, it doesn't really matter. He's a politician. And the people who know how to do things started attaching themselves. I mean, Fiorina attached herself to him in a sellout move to try to, to at least go somewhere. Dr. Carson wasn't going to do that because he has, you know, he has too much self-respect. And Ron Paul, Rand Paul wasn't going to do that because he still has his office. So <clears throat> it is what it is. But all these presidents, these former presidents who are telling you not to vote for Trump, they're telling you not to vote for Trump because if he gets in and if he does well, then there's never going to be another politician that gets elected to be president. It'll have to be someone who did something. We're going to elect generals. We're going to elect businessmen. We're going to elect doctors. We're going to elect people who have done great things in life to lead this country, not people who think great things of themselves. And it's all going to change. Trump is is the linchpin that can cause the entire system to fail. And they know it. They know it. And they're afraid. Well, you know what? I'm not afraid of having people who are good at something actually lead this country as the people who aren't good at anything. I'm not afraid of that. Is Trump the best person to be president? Absolutely not. I'm sorry. He is absolutely not the best person to be president. Is he the best person to crack this system in half? Yes. He's got the ego to do it. He's got the money to do it. He's got the personality to do it. And he is doing it every day. He's going out there to destroy, not the Republican Party. I see that. Trump, this is a feint. Trump is out there to destroy the Republican Party. Trump is not destroying the Republican Party. He's destroying the entire ruling political class. He's destroying the entire system of political science that has grown up ever since Eisenhower. And Eisenhower saw it coming. Eisenhower knew that this was where it was going to end up. Eisenhower said the military-industrial complex is creating a ruling class. And who came after Eisenhower? Kennedy. And when Kennedy bucked the system, Kennedy got assassinated. Then we've got Johnson, right? (coughs) (coughs) Lyndon Johnson, completely in the pocket of the system, right? All the way through Congress and and into his presidency. Um, After Johnson, we get Nixon, again, career politician. Ford, because Nixon resigned. Carter, who wasn't kind of an abnormal president, but still did things in the normal way. I mean, he was governor here, career politician. You got Reagan, actor, career politician, but hated because he was more populist. Then you get George H.W. Bush, probably the biggest political hack of, of 10 generations, followed by Bill Clinton, career politician, followed by the son of... H.W. Bush, who was a career politician, followed by Barack Obama, who really has not done anything but be a politician, followed by 
Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is the embodiment of career politicians, of the political order, of the establishment the way it is. Folks, I'm, I'm out of time. So let me tell you, join GeorgiaCarry.org. Stay abreast of what's happening in the legislature. Make sure that you know what's going on. You need to become a member. It's $20 a year, $500 for a lifetime. Go to www.GeorgiaCarry.org. Um, sign up there. You can go to gun shows. You can go to local festivals. You can go to um, local chapter meetings. There was ones coming up very shortly. You can go to GCO or www.georigacarry.org. Check out all of the chapter meetings that are coming up. We just had the annual convention about a month ago. It was awesome. That will be coming up again. You want to be a member for that. All these, these are great opportunities. You need to know what's going on. You need to stand up for the fight. Keep our governor from passing laws and then pretending they don't exist. Make sure the legislature knows that we are here. We're not going to have our rights taken away in Georgia like we see them taken away by Congress. And we're not going to be a member of a political organization that only takes half steps. We want it all. We want it all now. We're going to fight for it. We're going to call you, email you, and be in your face, letting you know what's happening and that we believe in this. Okay. So I got my sponsor deal out of the way. I've got about 10 seconds left, folks. It is time for this political ruling class to be completely shaken to its foundation and core. People that keep people from running for office by having you collect insane numbers of signatures. People who keep people from voting because their their voter registration card doesn't match their driver's license anymore because they move from one apartment to another. All of these things are designed to keep the system in place and keep power in place. And anyone who is keeping power in place at your expense is evil. You need to stand up to these people and say, no. This is not the way it's going to happen. We're not electing a career politician. We are going to break your system, break it in half, and and Donald Trump can do that. I'm not saying that I endorse Trump or, or, or I'm going to vote for Trump or anything else about Trump, but he is going to crack this system in half and change the way Americans do business. Enjoy your weekend, folks. Doug King, same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town. 